This podcast is brought to you by Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. This is J.H. Williams III, and you're listening to Two-Headed Nerd Podcast with Joe and Matt. I believe that's it, right? Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> sort of break it, break it down like good. It's all happening. Oh, my God. Welcome to episode 88 of THN. We're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, October 31st. Halloween, y'all. My name is Matt Baum. At Matt Bonstein on the Twitter. When I'm not putting razor blades and candy and inviting trick-or-treaters in to see my secret basement, I'm appraising comics and writing the Comic Speculator blog for WordPoint.com. And I'm Joe Patrick at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not dressing up as Superman and handing out Werther's Originals on Halloween night, I'm the artist of Good Plus and manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, Sam McGuffey. The website's not ready yet, buddy. Just be patient. What are you talking about? Sam will know. Okay. This week you'll hear... Why do why do you have secrets between Sam that I don't know? Don't you worry about it. This, don't you worry your pretty little head I about hate it. this. This week you'll hear reviews of Bedlam, number one, and Aquaman, 13. Then we'll review ten more comics faster than we can forget to vote on Tuesday. And then we'll leave the star system for a very special THN Sanctum Sanctorum. And finally, we're going to play Fancy Catch-Up with a stack of amazing Spider-Man comics, all while we'll be reading your answers to the question of the week. But before we get to all that nerf hurting, let's roll by Lucasfilm Ranch in the THN Landspeeder with bare buttocks and plain view, because George Lucas, you ain't got Star Wars to kick around no more, buddy. And then we can talk about this week's big news. Sometimes the big news just writes itself. There was a lot going on in Hollywood this week, and we'll get to the juicy stuff a little later. But for now, let's start with some X-Men movie news. Deadline has reported that Brian Singer, the director that first brought the X-Men to the big screen, will be returning to the franchise to direct X-Men Days of Future Past. X-Men First Class director Matthew Vaughn backed out of the sequel, presumably to helm the film adaptation of Mark Miller's Secret Service. While no further announcements regarding story or casting have been made, Singer's involvement is now official. A fish. It's totes a fish. Totes a fish. Now, is this a good thing, Matt? And do you think that Marvel Studios' success is causing these other guys to step up their game? I absolutely think it is. Uh, And I do think this is a good thing. I think Brian Singer is a very talented director, and I've liked... I think I've liked every movie he's made. Superman Returns? Even Superman Returns, I gotta say... There were things to love about Superman Returns. There were, and it was well-directed. It was not a good script. My problem with Superman Returns was not the way it looked or the way anyone acted. It was the way it was written. It was just a bad script. Hmm. But a good-looking movie. I think Singer is going to be good here. Singer gave us two great X-Men films, and then it promptly took a massive crap (laughs) with X-Men 3. He's done this before. He's really good at big Hollywood action. I think he's perfect for this choice. Yeah, I'm like I didn't have anything against Matthew Vaughn. I liked X Men First Class. No, but truthfully, I think I would rather see Matthew Vaughn direct a movie like Secret Service, sure, than do another X film. That's where he's really good. I think if you go back and watch X Men One, it's not as good as we remember. It doesn't hold up. X Men Two though is is great. I think still awesome. Aside from the stupid backstory they gave Nightcrawler, yeah, but that's fine. Uh, I love s- these images into my skin. So <laughs> Why I can is he speak Mexican? Angels. Why does he sound like Speedy Gonzalez? Weird French German Mexican thing. He was thing. German, you uh, weirdo. I hated it. But I think I think Brian Singer's a great choice, and we can all agree at least it's not Brett Ratner. True. Over at Sony, ongoing financial troubles have some wondering how the company will bounce back. Sony's stock has dropped 28% over the past six months. That's huge, by the way, for those of you who don't follow the stock market. Joe and I are always playing it. Fingers on the pulse. And their forecast for this year's profits isn't looking good. Yikes. According to the New York Post, industry analysts are buzzing about the possibility of Sony selling off its entertainment division. While Sony is denying such a possibility, rumors persist that potential buyers have been flying to Japan to meet with Sony execs and are gearing up to make their offers. What does this have to do with comics? Well, Sony holds the film rights to Spider-Man and Ghost Rider. And why would they need to hold on to those rights without an entertainment division to make movies? Could Spidey be headed back into the loving embrace of Marvel Studios? In other Spider-Man movie news, it seems like a lock that Jamie Foxx will be playing Electro, which is perfect because, you know, Electro is a black dude in the hey, comics. listen, right? we talked about this. <laughs> in the Amazing Spider-Man sequel, 
While the casting hasn't been officially announced, Fox and Amazing Spider-Man director Mark Webb have been less than subtle about the rumors lately. Fox posted a message on his Facebook page that said, quote, dressed up as Electro for Halloween last night. Costume fits really well. And in an interview with the Huffington Post, Webb described Fox as electrifying. Waka waka. Let's talk about the Jamie Foxx thing first. Let's Let's just get the Jamie Jamie, Foxx thing out of the way. Jamie Foxx. I'm okay with it because I like Jamie Jamie Foxx. I do too. He's a good actor. And I don't think there's anything about Electro. I think when people complain about the Kingpin in Daredevil the movie, and it was Michael Clark Duncan, it's hard not to sound super racist. No, but but to me, the Kingpin is a very specific visual. Yes. Right? There's nothing specific about Electro that I don't think could be portrayed by any actor. I agree. I would like to say that the Kingpin, in my mind, could be portrayed as a large black man as well. Sure. But when he's that poorly written and the lines are delivered that badly... There's just no excuse. So it's it for horrible. Me, it's for me. It's uh, I just have a very specific image in my mind of what the kingpin should look like. Sure. And having him just be an imposing black dude isn't good enough. Unless like, he's a really I good actor. The huge bald man mountain. Right. You know, kingpin. But we're way off topic. Yeah. Jamie Foxx is Electro. I'm fine with this. He's me a, too. He's a good actor. I agree. He should bring some weight to the role. I am really happy that they're using Electro in the Spider-Man movie. Yeah, and I really like I the, love Electro. I really like the last Spider-Man movie. Mark Webb proved that he can do it. I yep. think it's going to be a lot of fun. As far as Spider-Man leaving Sony, this has it, it's got, all speculation. I and it's got to be Sony denies it. It's got to be speculation by someone who just has no idea how Sony's profit shares work because the only thing that they're making money on are their movies. They're, but. PS3 sales are flat. Blu-ray sales are flat. They didn't market the Blu-ray technology correctly, where Samsung realized, look, Apple's the king of computers right now. If we want to get in there, let's start making their displays. You know, And they get their technology and other things, whereas Sony held on to the Blu-ray player so tightly in its death grip that nobody cares about Blu-ray players anymore because we've all got seven different things that can stream stuff from the web in just as high quality. So I highly doubt they're going to get rid of their entertainment division. Well, I think the story is born from the idea that they are losing so much money so quickly that they need an influx to get back in the black. And I get and that. And the entertainment division makes up 17% of their profits. I, it, like you said, it's the only thing making money. And I think the reason why they might be willing to sell it is because the Amazing Spider-Man movie did not bring the success that they were hoping. It's, they still made a crap ton of money but on it. But not what they wanted. I mean, not what they were hoping. It didn't beat Avengers, no. I mean, but now the bar has been raised so high by superhero films that everything no, is true. Be a disappointment. But I think the bottom line, though, is I think there's a plausibility to this that, yeah, it, like the entertainment division might be where Sony makes a lot of its money, but they'll always be the company that makes gadgets. Odds are 200 to 1 they sell the entertainment division. I'm mm. not buying it. I'm look. I mean, Listen. I'm no financial expert, but the rumors got to come from somewhere. Yeah, I heard the president was born in Kenya too. <laughs> yeah, man, where's the birth certificate? Yeah, those rumors come from somewhere. And finally, Disney, the parent company to Marvel Comics, the ABC Network, and the Muppet Studio, among and, others, and ESPN, ESPN has expanded their reach to a galaxy far, far away. The corporate giant signed a deal with Star Wars creator George Lucas on Tuesday, purchasing Lucasfilm and all that comes with it for a staggering $4.05 billion. Woo! Yeah. When news of the deal went public, Disney CEO Bob Iger announced Star Wars Episode Seven for 2015, followed by Episodes 8 and 9, saying that their hope was to produce a new Star Wars film project every two or three years. Ad infinitum. Yeah. <laughs> if 2015 sounds like a quick turnaround for a Star Wars movie, you aren't alone. However, Iger revealed that treatments for the next three films were already written, and that Episode 7 is already in development. See, this has all happened, and nobody knew about it. I don't think it's hard to believe at all. And if anybody can keep that a secret, it's George Lucas. In Disney's press release, Lucas said, quote, it's now time for me to pass Star Wars on to a new generation of filmmakers. I've always believed that Star Wars could live beyond me, and I thought it was important to set up the transition during my lifetime. And I'm no super jokes. sorry, I almost choked the life no out of it. No jokes. And have been kicking the corpse around for the last 10 We're years. We're going to get to this. <laughs> the transition to Disney won't be seamless, as certain rights for older properties, such as the original trilogy and the Indiana Jones films, rest with different companies like Fox and Paramount. What about Willow? That's what I want to know. Where is Willow? (laughs) But Disney offered no further statement about those, quote, 
encumbrances. <laughs> I don't think they care. I think they're just in a spending mood. Yeah, so could be. Now, what this means for the future of Star Wars comics is still up in the air. But Dark Horse president Mike Richardson released a statement saying, quote, Dark Horse and Lucasfilm have a strong partnership which spans over 20 years and has produced multiple characters and storylines which are now part of the Star Wars lore. Star Wars will be with us for the near future. Obviously, this deal changes the landscape, so we'll all have to see what it means for the future. I picture him sitting at his desk with a handgun on one side of his laptop and like a, you know, bourbon on the rocks on the other, <laughs> visibly shaking as he sips and Watches takes a the drink, video of George nervous, Lucas signing the papers. Nervously looks at the light glinting off his gun. <laughs> Speculation about the future of Star Wars is currently running rampant throughout the internet, but... Other than the fact that Episode 7 will be an original story and presumably not based on material from the expanded universe, no concrete details have been released. I want to see the Timothy Zahn trilogy. That's what I want to see. They just said it. It will be an original story. I want... Well, there's... I mean, those were original stories. Timothy Zahn wrote those. That's not what this means. Ugh. This means... We're gonna. We got our own story. We've made up. Man, I, I, think I want Admiral so far, Thrawn. I want the slugs that repel the Jedi Force. I think man. they went so far as to say, forget what you've already heard in novels and everything. See, that kind of sucks. Ah. They developed such a great story with that Timothy Zahn trilogy, and it would be perfect. It's there. Script it. Show it to us. I'm in. Well, let's talk about this deal. I think this is huge. I think this is humongous, and. And I think it's awesome. Everybody that listens to the show and several of my friends know I have been a massive Star Wars hater. Not so much Star Wars, but George Lucas hater since he put out the prequels and just ruined Star Wars for me. I liken Star Wars to an uncle that I used to love that got really sick and lost his mind and on his deathbed said a bunch of horrible shit and then died. And I just don't want to talk anymore. Wow. I would rather think about him when he was healthy and vital. <laughs> you know? and I was young and we had fun together. You know, But this, just to hear George Lucas say, I'm passing it on to a new generation of filmmakers. I can't tell you how excited this makes me for Star Wars again. I've had some complex feelings about George Lucas the last couple of days. And I've kind of come to a peace with what he's done. No. And... He is a war criminal. He's as far not. As I'm listen, he should be tried in the Hague. George Lucas, <laughs> who was the sole person in charge of Lucasfilm, right? It wasn't a publicly traded company. No. He got four billion dollars himself. He didn't have to divide it among shareholders. And what he what did he decide to do with it? He's donating the majority of not only this deal but all of his wealth to further the cause of education in America. I'm not saying he is a bad guy. You called him a war criminal. Uh, but for what he did to Star Wars. Listen, yes. I am preparing a piece. It will be my first original written piece for the website. Oh boy. Because I can't squeeze in any writing at the moment with all my other crap. <laughs> uh that is going to be about the legacy of George Lucas and I have kind of come around on this guy. I'm not, I'm very excited for this. I'm not saying he's a bad guy. I'm separating let's the man. Let's stop talking about George Lucas. Let's separate the man from the art. Let's talk about okay? Star Wars yes. and what this means going forward. I am kind of pumped for sequels to the original trilogy. I totally am as well. And they're going to be recast. They're going to be super sexy. They're going to look great. And I honestly think... That if anybody can get a hold of this and do something wonderful with it, it's Disney. And they've already proved that, hey, we bought Marvel, and look at the Marvel movies you're getting. They respect the creators, they respect the history, and they're allowing these guys to do what they do best. What about Star Wars comics? I think Dark Horse is totally... I think Dark Horse is going to eventually lose this license. Oh, yeah. And Star Wars is one of their biggest sellers. Yeah. That's, and it's a shame. But, it's going to be a real kick in the pants. You know, nothing them. lasts forever. No. And I think everyone can be grateful for the Star Wars comics that we've gotten and the great stuff that they've contributed to the Definitely. lore. Definitely. But as far as new comics, I mean, can you imagine like Marvel's stable of creators working on Star Wars comics? <sighs> radical right i would like to see john ostrander there i would because john yeah. ostrander has been so important to star wars at dark horse and i mean a lot of the guys that do the painted covers and stuff that have been working for dark horse for years i like to see them slide over yeah and i'd like that transition to be smooth exciting news and we will continue to follow oh yeah it as it develops but for now we are super excited oh yeah <laughs>
That's the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories or anything you think we missed, head over to our Facebook page where we're reenacting our favorite scene from Willow, where I'm carrying a human baby up to a caravan of human soldiers and asking them to take the child, and Joe Patrick kicks me in the face after saying, Out of the way, pet! My favorite scene. Yeah. <laughs> Mad Mardigan! <laughs> Each week, my Wookiee co-pilot, Joe Patrick, posts the question of the week, and then we read our responses on the show. This week's question was, give us your dream casting for the next Star Wars movie, Episode 7. Joe Patrick, what are these nerds saying? Let's get to a few off of Twitter. Uh, Cornelius, and I'm sorry, Cornelius, I, I don't know how to pronounce your last name. Cornelius wrote in. try. We butcher it every time. Right, That's fine. part of the fun. Stuyvesant? Okay. Stewie Vassant. Why, why do I recognize that last name? He's written in before. Okay. Uh, let's, let's preface this by saying zero people wrote in with serious answers <laughs> to the question of the week. <laughs> Maybe one or two. Uh, this is going to be good. But Cornelius uh, writes in with uh, Rick Moranis as Yoda. Love it. Robin Williams as Chewbacca. Yes. Will Smith as Obi-Wan. Perfect. Stallone as Vader. Oh, my God. Tim Curry, Tim Curry as Luke. Holy hell. Uh, follow up. Carol Burnett as Leia. I would watch the f*** out of this. Mandy Patinkin as Han Solo. Oh my god! Han, uh, Howie Mandel as C-3PO. <laughs> Bruce Willis as Grand Moff Tarkin. And Meatloaf, the singer, as Jabba the Hutt. So this is directed by Quentin Tarantino. Uh, I don't even know. I don't know how to react. That is amazing casting, sir. Also on Twitter, John L. writes in... You know, anyone, as long as it's nobody from Twilight, Harry Potter, Glee, Grey's Anatomy, Gossip Girl, or any other shitty <laughs> show or movie. Fair. Uh, and that's true. Like, the big worry is, how many hot, young Hollywood stars can we shove into Star Wars? Look, it's going to happen. Couple. We've got a couple of interesting cast lists on Facebook. Matt Bowen writes in. Hey, it's my buddy Matt Bowen is your DJ. <laughs> Starbuck, as played by Taylor Swift. <laughs> Captain Kirk, Robert De Niro. <laughs> Ron Weasley by Brad Pitt, <laughs> Neo by Justin Bieber, and R2-D2 by Skrillex. Uh, he got six likes for that answer. And let's see. Uh, <laughs> Michael Robertson. Michael Robertson wrote in with something that is not entirely outrageous, but it's mostly great. outrageous. Uh, Han Solo by Michael Fassbender. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, Angel Angelina Jolie as Princess Leia. Boo. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio as Luke. <gasps> Tom no, Hardy as no, Boba Fett. Too scary, but... Yes. Tom Hardy as Boba Fett. Yeah. Yoda played by Bjork. <laughs> uh, I like it. I like it. Uh, Senator Palpatine uh, by Stan Lee. <laughs> and Jar Jar by Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> I'm trying to picture Senator, Senator Palpatine by Stan Lee. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jar Jar by Shia LaBeouf and the new Sith Lord uh, by Christian Bale. Uh, and his simple plot is uh, Jar Jar gets shot in the face at the end. I like it. Yeah. I like that one. We're off to a good start. More to come later in the show. I met him in a swamp down in Dagobah where it bubbles all the time like a giant carbonated soda. It's review time on THN where each week I stand on my head while balancing Matt on my left foot and use the force to reach out to two of this week's new comics. Then we wave our hands in front of you guys and tell you whether or not these are the comics you're looking for. Matt, what did you read this week? That was a nice metaphor, right? Yeah. I good. read Aquaman 13, written by Jeff Johns, art by Ivan Rice, Joe Prado, and Julio Ferreria on inks. And Rod Rice on colors. Rod's got to be related to Ivan, right? You would think so. Yeah, They're both REIS. So. They've got to be related. Here is your bullet point solicitation. Bullet. The, fin the finale of the others. Bullet. Aquaman pushed the breaking point. Bullet. Who is Black Manta <laughs> working for? This is the final part of the Others storyline that showed us that sometime in the past five years, Aquaman was running with a different team known as the Others. Each from a different country and each gained their powers from a relic from Lost Atlantis. Through this story, a particularly nasty Black Manta has been hunting the others and killing them one by one. But who is Manta working for? And why does he want the Atlantean relics? Solicit hints we might get that answer 
but we don't. <laughs> in fact, this whole storyline has been set up for the upcoming Throne of Atlantis storyline. Not that this is a bad thing. Jeff Johns has been applying the same formula to Aquaman that has proved a winning formula on his Green Lantern for years now, and it's working. Formula goes like this. Take a familiar character with a lot of loose continuity and background and use some key parts of that past to build a direction forward. And take one of the characters' well-known and possibly lame villains and make them absolutely terrifying along the way. Here, that villain is Black Manta, and the main focus Johns is building on here for Aquaman is his history with Atlantis, which seems to be a place that even Aquaman doesn't know a lot about. I've been very critical of DC for their rushed attempt to restart their continuity, and as a whole, I think it's failed, but Johns is doing an incredible job of universe building here specifically for Aquaman. I'm interested in Atlantis. I'm totally scared of Black Manta, who is just terrifying, and for the first time, I actually really like Mira as a character. She's always been kind of just this C-list character in Aquaman's life that came and went and was in trouble sometimes. Here, she's pretty much Aquaman's sole support system. He is this outsider stuck between humanity and Atlantis, which he really doesn't even know anything about. And he doesn't know where he belongs. Mira seems to be the one character that keeps him centered and focused. And I really believe that they have a great relationship And it's fun to read. This is an interesting married character. And we don't have a lot of married superheroes. The art here by Ivan Rice is nothing short of perfect. He obviously loves to draw the big ocean squall backgrounds. Every panel is filled with torrential rain, rogue waves, and lightning. And the emotion that he conveys in the faces of his characters is truly amazing. Especially the the big final fight scene between Aquaman and Black Manta. They look like they are trying to murder each other. Yeah, they are. It is vicious. It, it Fantastic scene. And I think this is Jeff Johns holding them to very high standards. But much like Green Lantern, through the multiple inkers that they've had, you've never noticed any downfall in quality in the art. And nothing no. stuck out. It all worked. It all worked very well. And it all looks beautiful. I love this series. I love the status that they've lifted Aquaman to. I'm terrified of what happens when Jeff Johns leaves this book. But for now, giving this a huge buy it. I really like it, too. Uh, It it looks like they have announced that Ivan Rice is moving over to Justice League. True. And I believe that the person taking over the art is Eddie Barrows. He's good. Who I like. He He's used real to draw good. Nightwing. Nightwing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, look, I'm optimistic that it will continue to be good. I don't know what will happen when Johns leaves. But yeah. for now, I'm, I'm still on board. I loved it as well. I've really enjoyed this other storyline. The thing that I dislike and part of it is the year anniversary with the zero month really threw a wrench into almost all of these books yeah. and their ongoing storylines. Yeah. <laughs> because this this should have ended a month ago and True. instead we had to take a break to talk about other things. And it, it's not exclusive to Aquaman, so I'm not going to hold it against it. I just wish they'd planned that a little bit better. It was bad timing. They should have ended this storyline and then used the Zero issue to set up what's coming in Throne of Atlantis. That's exactly how it should have gone. Sure. But, you know, regardless, this was still a really fun storyline. I love most of the others. They're awesome characters. They're all really cool. Like the soldier guy. Yeah. Prisoner uh, of War. Yeah. And the, the... operative the and old man that is fan- the secret agent a i love that fantastic scene with the prisoner of war it is going door to door talking oh yeah to like the family members of the ghosts that, that follow are haunting him, around. him yeah. oh it's really good but yeah this is a great book i love it and this was a strong issue and a strong finish and i'm eager to see what happens in the crossover with justice League. throne of atlantis looks like it's gonna be fun yeah i'm giving it a buy it as well Joe Patrick, tell us about Bedlam, number one from Image Comics. All right. Bedlam, written by Nick Spencer, with art by Riley Rosmo, covers by Fraser Irving, colors by Jean-Paul Suka. Sure. Suka. <laughs> Jean-Paul Suka. <laughs> Letters by <laughs> Kelly Tyndall and design by Tim Daniel. Here's your solicit. Fillmore Press was once Matter Red, a homicidal maniac and criminal overlord who terrorized the town of Bedlam for years. Then he got better. This is what happens next. 
a double-sized introduction to a blood-soaked cityscape of murder, mayhem, and mystery by Nick Spencer and Riley Rosmo. They're much better at their solicits than the big two. Oh, yeah. This book opens ten years ago with the last murderous rampage of Matter Red, who is a Joker-esque, psychotic uh, serial killer. And after a tense opening scene, Red is brought down by Bedlam's protector, a superhero called The First. And I forgot in the months since they announced it that this was going to have superheroes and supervillains in it. I did too. I just thought he was a serial killer. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, it's fine. It's not really about the hero. No, 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 no. And no. it's not jarring in any way. No. Uh, fast forward to now, and we see the now-cured Matter Red, Fillmore Press, just trying to make it through his day-to-day life without snapping. I won't spoil anything more, like how he was cured or why he's a free man, despite his <laughs> multiple murders, cured or not, uh, because you've really got to let this book and the journey that Spencer and Rosmo take the character on unfold for yourself. Nick Spencer's script for this issue sets up the world of Bedlam, which is a terrible name for a town, and the history of Matter Red perfectly. I love how Fillmore Press is still completely nuts, despite not being a murderer anymore. And the little touches that Spencer throws in, like Fillmore not really knowing how money works, and the ticks in his speech, really help illustrate that. The colors by Jean-Paul Sucka fit the tone of the book perfectly. The flashback sequences are black and white with splashes of red, and the present-day sequences are barely more colorful. Nice work, Sucka! <laughs> Bedlam looks bleak and crazy, and it absolutely works. I can't get over it. If there was a town named Bedlam, I would not live there. Was Bedlam the name of the town, or was it named the asylum he went Bedlam to? Bedlam is the name of the town. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a bad name. Welcome yeah. to Killerville. Yeah, exactly. Welcome to Rape Town. You know, <laughs> the, the real star of this. I don't think uh, I want to live here. The real star of this book, though, is Riley Rosmo. Uh, we've said it a lot on this show. The guy is a chameleon yes. that brings something new to every project. This issue is gorgeous. His design for Matter Red is terrifying, and even the way he draws Fillmore is. Super creepy. Okay, mad props to Tim Daniel as well, who is got the credit for design, which yeah. I didn't understand when I first looked at it. I was like, what does that mean, design? But he definitely gave this book a look that other comics do not have. It worked so well with I, Rossmo's art. Yes, I think uh, it would refer to like the packaging of the yes. book, the way the cover is designed. Not the art of the cover, but the way the logo right. falls on it. I also uh, think The he- back cover with the... Matter red as in the angel with the yeah. junk wings. And then there's a two-page spread that introduces, that's like the title page. And it's this really gothic-looking cityscape. Yeah, uh, I give credit to, to Tim Daniel for all of that stuff. It the was book very looks cool. very good. There's so much in this first issue that I have to see more of. The motivations of the man that cured Matter Red, which I didn't see coming. When they explained it in the announcement months back... I thought that he was, you know, like through psychiatric care, hmm. cured and then recruited doesn't by sound, the authorities. Doesn't but sound no, like it. it's way, way darker than that. <laughs> yeah. And I want to know what's going on with that. Fillmore uh, interacting with the authorities that he fought against as a supervillain. They don't know who he is. And most of all, whether or not Fillmore is actually cured. Yeah, because they blame. They said that someone else was the character of Mad Red and he was killed. Right, in, in the ran- when he when he is caught at the end, uh, yeah, it, somebody else takes the fall. And there's definitely conspiracy theories out there about it and the cops are covering it up. Yeah. And you know, now that I know that his cure did not come from medical care and like medical help and all this stuff, now that I know there's something kind of crazy behind it, I will always be waiting for the time that Fillmore goes away. And Matter Red comes back. Yeah. Because I feel like it's got to happen at some point. This was a great first issue. It is really thick. It's the double sized, lots of story for only $350. Totally worth your Which money. is pretty much the standard image price. It's creepy, fun, totally compelling, huge buy it. Okay, here's what I'm saying about this. And the whole time I read it, I kept wondering is this a Batman treatment that Nick Spencer wrote for the Joker? Because it sure felt like one. Like, not necessarily in continuity, but just some story that he wrote for the Joker. The town is called Bedlam. Six letters. Just like Gotham. The, the character has this creepy big smile. You know, just like the Joker. He's completely psychotic. And out of his gourd. Just like the Joker. And the guy that comes and stops him. 
the first is this dark Avenger with a cape. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm not, that, not that it's that's reminiscent. A, I'm not saying not that, that that's a problem. No, I'm just saying I'm not saying he planned it as a Joker story, but it certainly hits those notes. It still, it sure feels like. And it. you can, if you wanted to read it that way, you could read it as an Elseworlds where the and Joker gets cured and then gets integrated perfectly. in a normal society. The book looked gorgeous. It was very well written. The the art is just top notch here. Nick Spencer is one of the best in the business right now. I love this. Buy it, buy it, buy it. Of course, we want to know what you fish people and reformed psychos thought of these comics, so let us know how watered down and sociopathic our reviews were in our comment section over at TwoHeadedNerd.com. It's time for Matt and I to make like Lando and Nia Nub and escort the Rebel fleet on a full-on attack on the almost operational Death Star. You're Nia Nub. The weird uh, fish <laughs> <laughs> As soon as Han and a team of teddy bears take down a hardened Empire bunker powering the Death Star shields. Which I still don't buy. While we whiz past TIE fighters and Imperial Star Destroyers, we'll be reviewing 10 new comics during this week's Ludicrous Speed Round. Ludicrous Speed! Go! Mighty Thor number 22 from Marvel. This was Matt Fraction's final issue of Mighty Thor, and it felt pretty tacked on to me. It just didn't do much at all. We get to see a trial of Thor where they kind of go over everything that happened in Matt Fraction's run, and then they kind of fart out a couple ideas that are obviously going to lead into the Jason Aaron run. Just felt really tacked on. Art was super inconsistent. Two good pages by Barry Kitson. The rest was bad. I got to give this a leave it. It just didn't work at all. Lot 13, number one from DC. This is a new horror series from Steve Niles and Glenn Fabry, who you may know as uh, primarily known as the cover artist for Preacher. Love him. I love Glenn Fabry. This was really well written. Like I like the, the dialogue of the family. It's very believable. But then the horror stuff is really silly, and I laughed, and I don't know if that was the intended... Whoops. Yeah, I don't know if that was the intended uh, response. Quickly, but- why is it not a Vertigo book? I don't know. I well, don't it's not It's not for mature readers. It's just a scary book. Fair enough. Uh, I'm going to give it a skim it. It wasn't bad, but it also didn't really grab me in a scary way. Fair. Wolverine and the X-Men number 19 from Marvel. This is listed as the Marvel Now book, but there really doesn't seem to be any major change in status quo. It's still great. It's still jam full of guest stars. Kitty is searching for a new teacher in this one, and there's some hilarious Deadpool and Ghost Rider and Blade lines that pop up. I love this book so much, and Nick Bradshaw packs every page full of so much ridiculous crap. I love it. Buy it, buy it, buy it. CBLDF Annual 2012 from Image. That's the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund. Yes, this is the yearly uh, This is the yearly comic that they put out to raise money for the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund, and it is full of stories by the industry's top indie creators. There's, a, there's an original... Never before published Walking Dead story in there, starring the governor, and it's for a good cause. It's an anthology, so not every story is great, but it's a worthy cause, and Walking Dead, can't pass it up, buy it. And a great way to donate to the CBLDF. Absolutely. Legend of Oz, The Wicked West, number one from Big Dog. Big Dog, Inc. Uh, I will say Big Dog does a better job than, say, Xenoscope. With the Oz Chronicles, they're not making it all sexified, but they really kind of hammer the the Western stuff in there. It wasn't badly written, and the art was pretty good. I skim it. I'm giving it a skim it. I expected to hate it. Masters of the Universe, (laughs) Origin of Skeletor, number one from DC. This is a weird little, I think, one-shot that is coming out in conjunction with the He-Man miniseries. Yeah. Fraser Irving does the art. It was beautiful. It's gorgeous. Uh, Joshua Hale Fieldcov writes the story. The origin of Skeletor is super compelling. It was good. It might not fit with what we remember from the old cartoon, but it's got Hordak in it. Yeah. It was really interesting and kind of great. I wish the He-Man comic was this good. I'm giving it a buy it. It was good. I liked it too. Bloodstrike number 32 from Image. I just revisited this comic because I haven't been paying much attention to it. And I got to say, this one was fun. And it kind of made me want to go back and read the other Bloodstrikes that I missed. The art is solid. Tim Seeley's script is fun here. He's dealing with some, like, characters that nobody gives a crap about, like Bloodstone 
and Cabot. <laughs> Weird old Rob Leafield creations. But, you know, it's fun. I've given it a buy it. All right. Avenging Spider-Man Annual number one from Marvel. This is a team-up between Spider-Man and The Thing. It's written by Rob Williams with great, great art by Brad Walker. It's really fun. It's it's funny. It's cute. It's just good superhero comics. However, it's $5. Yeah. I mean, come on, guys. Uh, it's a good story, but I can't do more than giving it a skim it because it's nothing that's going to set the world on fire. Right. It's just too expensive. Yeah. A plus X, number one from Marvel. I have very similar feelings for this. A plus X sort of like spins out of the AVSX or whatever was going on in that fight book. And it's two stories where they take an X-Man and an Avenger and put them together for a wacky little adventure. The first one we see Bucky and Cap in World War II dealing with a time-traveling Cap. And there's so much cable. Time-traveling cable. A time-traveling cable. And there's so much tongue-in-cheek BS that happens. That I just kept rolling my eyes. I just didn't care. And that was a Dan Slott story. I love Dan Slott. I thought the Jeff Loeb one was a little better, but still really cheesy and unnecessary. You don't need this book. It's $2.99 for two short stories. Leave it. Ghost, one shot from DC Vertigo. This is the la- oh, well, this is the latest, I should say, in Vertigo's uh, kind of running series of genre anthologies. This is all about horror and ghosts. And like any anthology, it's hit and miss. Some stories are uh, meh. Some stories are fun. There's a great one by Jeff Johns and Jeff Lemire about uh, uh, one guy and his dead ghost brother that haunt people for hire. And it was fun and goofy, and I would read that comic. But it's $8. Again. I mean, it's just too much and not great enough to give it an emphatic buy. It's got to be a skim it for me. That is your ludicrous speed round, and choom is the sound it makes when Cable fires his oddly rectangular future gun, as seen in the pages of A plus X, number one. Shortly before he goes, Auf Wiedersehen, Captain America. (laughs) This week, Joe and I take the THN Sanctum Sanctorum on the interstellar road for a field trip. Our good friend Ben Kenobi has sent us to the Dagobah system, where we will meet Yoda and further focus our Jedi powers while eating his famous Sleen stew. Sleen's like a lizard-looking thing. Through our Jedi training, we will use the Force to glance at the future of next week's comics. Joe Patrick, what comic has your midichlorian count picked for you for next week? My pick for next week is Iron Man number one from Marvel Comics by Karen Gillan and Greg Land. I'm not a huge fan of Greg Land these days, but he's kind of gotten better. I do, however, love Karen Gillan, and I'm ready for a new voice on Iron Man, and I think Karen Gillan's looks really interesting. I'm very curious about the new Iron Man, what's going on with that new suit, that black yeah. and gold suit. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I'm excited to give it a try. Matt. My pick for next week. (laughs) Joke. I'm bad at that. (laughs) My pick for next week is Hellraiser, The Road Below, number one, from Boom, written by Brandon Seifert with art by Ibrahim Roberson. Those who read Witch Doctor over at Image might recognize the name Brandon Seifert, fantastic writer working under the Skybound imprint, and I'm really excited to see what he can do with Hellraiser. I recognize Abraham Roberson's name, too. I don't. I don't remember from where, though. Hmm. Our trade paperback pick for this week is BPRD, Plague of Frogs, the hardcover, volume four, from Dark Horse, by Mike Mignola and John Arcudi, Guy Davis, and Dave Stewart. This is the latest hardcover collection of Dark Horse's excellent BPRD series, and this volume features the conclusion of the Frog War, which set up the current Hell on Earth storyline. You should be buying all of these. I have bought all the comics and the hardcovers. That's how much I love it. Ibrahim Roberson drew some issues of Generation Hope. There we go. That would be why I didn't pay attention. Let us know how you like your Sleen prepared and what you plan on reading next week. With a oh. side of blue milk. Over <laughs> at the comments section for this episode at TwoHeadedNerd.com. Romulan Ale? No, that's the wrong thing. No. What? I'm sorry. Joe Patrick, before we 
play some fancy catch-up. Why don't you read me some more answers to the question of the week? I understand some people wrote us some script treatment. <laughs> That's right. Awesome. <laughs> our first came from Aaron Kilborn on our Facebook page. All right. So Johnny Depp comes into a cantina <laughs> where Han Solo is just kind of chilling out. Johnny Depp and Han Solo. <laughs> Han Solo is played by an old Harrison Ford. Oh, okay. We come to find out that Depp is actually a Sith Lord. He befriends Han Solo, and they travel the universe in the Millennium Falcon with Chewbacca on drums, voiced by Brendan Small. <laughs> That's awesome. And they have all sorts of crazy adventures until Solo finds out that Depp is actually a Sith Lord named Depp in the movie. Darth Depp? Darth Depp. And they end up having this big argument, and Darth Vader comes back. Nothing gets resolved, because get ready for part two coming out in another ten years. Oh, man. Cliffhanger. I don't like the name. It's got to be like Darth Meanie or something stupid or like Darth Furberger. You know, I don't know. <laughs> Gross. Uh, Aaron wrote back to say, just kidding. Uh, anything pertaining to the Force Unleashed series would be fantastic. I agree. And I feel like a great actor to portray that character would be Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yes. Fun fact. That guy is already based on an existing actor. Yes. He's on Being Human, the American version. I don't remember his name. He's he a was vampire a- guy? I think he's the vampire. Yeah, he's the vampire. He was guy. also the guy that played Doomsday in Smallville. Yeah, that dude is so good looking, it's hard to yeah, look at. He him. is the actor he's that beautiful. plays Starkiller in the Force Unleashed games. Cool. Yeah. I so. really like that guy too. There you go. Uh our buddy Jason Dawsonbrock, owner of Legend Comics, writes in I'm thinking you make it a buddy pick. Shia LaBeouf as Han Solo and Zach Galvanakis as Chewbacca. <laughs> They tool around the universe and hilarity ensues, much to the chagrin of Leah, played by Blake Lively, Mick G can direct. Wow. (laughs) This one was written in by the TDW. Idea number one, R2-D2, C-3PO, a shirtless Matthew McConaughey, Christopher Walken, a Tracy Morgan voiced Jar Jar Binks, and the head of Walt Disney. Cruise the galaxy for chicks Whoa. while fleeing from the authorities in a ship full of narcotics. Wow. The film will be directed by Terry Gilliam. <laughs> I see. Sort of a pineapple <laughs> express in space. <laughs> I love it. Uh, we did get a couple of actual uh, suggestions. Almost everybody said they wanted to see the Thrawn trilogy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, from Timothy Zahn's Come books. On. Uh, Joseph Gordon Levitt. Uh, Ryan Mount says Joseph Gordon Levitt as Luke. Norman Reedus as Hans Hello. Come on now. No. Ellen Page as Princess Leia, Gary Oldman, or Jimmy Smits as Talon Caraday. Jimmy Smits has already been cast. He's Bail Organa, thank you. You can't cast him twice. Michael Fassbender as Thrawn. Like it. I like it. Christoph Waltz as uh, Chabath. I don't know who that is. Chabath. And Charlize Theron as Myra Jade, Matt's favorite actress. These are uh, are great responses. Almost everybody had a hilarious joke. Brian DuPont wants Clint Howard to star as a revived Emperor Palpatine. Whoa. <laughs> Dwayne The Rock Johnson as Savage Opress. I like it. <laughs> Michael Dorn as Darth Maul's upper half. Oh, God. <laughs> J-Lo as Maul's lower half. Nice. Sir Ian McKellen as Lord Dooku. And Vern Troyer as some evil dark side Ewok. <laughs> I see. <laughs> great, These are all great guys. Great responses. <laughs> really nice, Kelly. Really You're nice. all fired from Hollywood. <laughs> really nicely done, though. <laughs> Every once in a while, Matt and I like to put on our Sunday best and curl up by the fire with a brandy and catch up on a stack of comics for a little segment we're calling Fancy Ketchup. That's the new name! Yeah, I like it. This month, we're catching up on Amazing Spider-Man from Marvel before it hits issue 700, and writer Dan Slott sends Spidey to the future we're calling it maybe we'll i mean we'll see so i have gotten all the way caught up to current i was halfway through ends of the earth yeah and i caught with, up to the current i started with ends of the earth and i just love it it's so good it really is and i think the best thing that dan slot we, we it's no secret that we love dan slot's amazing spider-man but i think the best thing that dan slot is doing with this character is showing us different sides of peter parker especially through the ends of the earth storyline I get really tired of the, oh, um, there's that Parker Luck kicking in. I lost my job. I'm so unlucky. Everybody hates me. He's also brilliant. We get to see him working for Horizon Labs and like as an inventor and making really cool stuff. And I like the way that they touched on the thing with the, I can't remember the guy that runs Horizon Labs. 
Max Modell. Max Modell sort of knows Peter Parker's secret. Oh, no, 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 no. They but, very cheesily always no, but, I mean, say, if I hadn't seen you both in the same place at the right, same right. time, I'd really suspect something. Right, but in the sense that there's no way he could be working at this place and doing what he's doing without having some connection to Spider-Man. Yeah. So Max Modell thinks... Peter Parker is the genius that designs stuff for Spider-Man. Sure. <laughs> yeah. It makes sense. And it's worked out really well. And we get to see Peter as an inventor. We also get to see him in the Ends of the Earth storyline specifically, basically leading teams around and doing a really yeah. good job. He has dealt with the Sinister Six, the Rhino, the Sandman, Mysterio, Chameleon, and Dr. Octopus all his life. So he designs... That's five. That's five. Who's the sixth? Electro. Electro. So he designs an armor to deal with all of them. Yeah. Rather than just swinging in as Spider-Man and doing it, he's trying to do it all himself, which kind of bites him in the ass while he's doing it. And he ends up bringing in some help from the Avengers and the Black Widow and Silver Sable. But he's basically leading the team and doing a really good job. And I like seeing Peter Parker being used as more than just like as capable yeah the butt of everyone's jokes i right. really like the smart capable peter parker and you know what uh, making spider-man the butt of everyone jo everyone's jokes is fine when we're talking about other people's books right but in his own book he needs to be the best dude in the room he does and also it doesn't necessarily make sense that like oh crap here's this big you know earth shattering thing that could be happening where a madman dr octopus has put all these satellites in space he says for the purpose of ending global warming but everybody knows that dr octopus is totally nuts yeah and he has evil you know up his sleeve to see spider-man saying okay this is not the time to joke i'm not going to swing around and laugh and everything like we have to take this very seriously and the other heroes even being like weird shouldn't you be like making fun of everything and he's like no yeah this is bad <laughs> you know it's nice it makes him more believable and more human and dan slott has done such a wonderful job humanizing this character again what i love the most is how dan slot touches on the familiar tropes yes but in a in a different way like you know the doting aunt and the parker look right. and all this like that stuff's all there but dan slot just tweaks it enough to make it new and not the same thing we've been reading for 60 years i think he knows it's played out and dan uh, slot also had the good sense to let peter be successful for a while and i do think that that's coming to an end i think that yeah. this thing at horizon lab this good thing he's had going for you know since dan slot took over as a regular writer is going to end very badly yes and he's been slowly hinting especially over the last couple issues uh, about what's what's to come uh dr octopus is down but not out uh things something very very bad is coming yeah very bad. <laughs> and so while we right now we're having this kind of wacky hobgoblin story going on where the original hobgoblin has come back to America to go after the new hobgoblin <laughs> for taking his name and now they're teaming up against <laughs> uh, basically Peter and Max and trying to get at Spider-Man. And you know, it's wacky and goofy. Where's the hobo goblin in all of this? Hobo goblin. <laughs> and the hobo goblin is caught in the middle. <laughs> but you know, Slot is obviously building to something, and I got caught up this week, and I looked at next week's list, and I was really disappointed that there wasn't a new issue coming out next week. Yeah. And that really says something. I, I'm really looking forward to more, and I'm especially looking forward to this big wrap-up of Amazing Spider-Man and the launch of Superior Spider-Man. It's time for a shake-up. Because Slot just has me, and mm -hmm. I'm giving him the leeway on this to not deliver something awful. I'm going to place my trust in him and and trust that he's got a plan and that whatever outrageous thing happens in the conclusion of this run and the start of the next is not going to ruin Spider-Man for no, all time. I trust him implicitly. Yeah. I really do. I mean, this isn't the guy that wrote One More Day. This is... The guy that made One More Day readable. Yes, this is the guy that said, <laughs> okay, One More Day happened. Let's right. move on. Let's do something good with it. Made Brand New Day readable, yes. I should say. And so I am loving this book. I highly recommend it for everyone. I don't care if you've never read Spider-Man. I don't care if you're jumping on in the middle of a storyline. You know, and I have said, I've criticized it that way, saying that Slot is really thick with continuity, but that's not necessarily true. He does a really good job of 
throwing every issue, even if it's the middle of a storyline, bringing you up to speed, moving you along, and you know who Spider-Man is. We all know where he came from. It's familiar enough that you really can't pick it up pretty much from the beginning of any one of his storylines yeah. and have a great time. I would say maybe just go back to the, to the last couple and start with his Hobgoblin story because sure. it's been fun, or wait an issue and come back with 698, which is going to be the huge issue, Slot says, where there's a big shakeup. Yeah. Dr. Octopus is going to find out Peter's identity. That's common knowledge, not a spoiler. And from there, the end of Amazing Spider-Man from that point is going to be bananas. And 698 is the place to jump on for that. I am recommending it. it must, if you're a fan of just good must superhero comics. for any Spidey fan. I don't even think you have to be a Spidey fan. I think give it a try. Let Slot make you a Spidey fan. Fair enough. Because he knows what makes Spider-Man great. And he is certainly going to go down as one of the greatest Spider-Man writers in history. We'd love to hear what you nerds think of Dan Slot's Spidey and where you think the character goes from here. So hit us up at TwoHeadedNerd.com with your thoughts. Sort of sort break of, it, break of, it down like down, this. Down, this. That is it for the George Lucas is going to sue the pants off of our butts edition of THN. <laughs> Joke's on him. If, I'm not wearing pants. <laughs> if you dig on two ex-Star Wars fans singing Ding Dong, the witch is dead, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes where you want to prove your THN love. You can leave us a star rating and a written review and help us get into the iTunes top 10. Come on, guys. Get with it. Huge thanks to all of our donors, and if you'd like to help keep us in purple lightsabers and land speeder parts, you can make your donation in any amount at the new and improved TwoHeadedNerd.com. While you're there, you can find links to our Twitter feed and our email, TwoHeadedNerd at gmail.com, where you can send us your love slash hate mail, or the comic that you'd like us to review, your Ask a Nerd questions, or suggestions for the comic pushers. And don't forget to check out all the new content the THN Love Slaves have been working on, like Gems in the Bin, which TD Dubs is terrified I'm going to rename at any time where he pulls a comic out of the quarter bin and gives it a good spanking. This week it's scantily clad jungle ladies. Ooh, wow. <laughs> How do you pass up that? And our weekly ludicrous speed reviews where Aaron Myers tells you just enough about several comics we didn't talk about on the show. And even some we did. And some from we a did. different perspective. Sure. Yeah. Remember to follow us on Twitter and like our Facebook page if you want to get in on the Question of the Week discussion and check out our web-exclusive Answer of the Week where Matt and I post our answers to the Question of the Week. We're, I think we're going to cast something serious since all you guys screwed around. Yeah, that's we're right. gonna We're going to have a serious casting. We're going to sit down in the green room and we're going to make a billion bucks. And this week we're going to remember to record it. Next week, get ready for Ask a Nerd, where we answer your comic-related questions, or you could challenge kid comic quiz master Joe Patrick to a comic book trivia duel. KKK master? Well, Ed, you know. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Steve Ditko, the original Spidey artist who turned 85 on Friday. Word to you, Stevie. And until next time, true believers, this is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off.